Yes, hello and welcome to episode 20 of Long Ball Football. You're listening to myself, Albert. And as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? Yeah, very good, man. Do you know what I had for the uh, first time in a long time? I had some fish fingers today. And nice. the, reason I'm bring- <laughs> the reason I'm bringing it up is, well, they're very nice, but I'm, I'm a bit weird about fish because um, I'll only eat fish fingers or like fish shop battered cod in England. But as soon as I go to Portugal, I'm there with the, the fresh sardines, the the octopus stew. Of course, man, of course. But I, I can't, I wouldn't dream of eating sardines in England. I don't know why. <laughs> the, the best fish I've ever eaten is definitely in Portugal. Uh, answer me this though, Barney. Have you been to the Sardine Museum in Chatuba in Portugal? Oh, I've never been. Is it worth a trip? Highly recommend it. It's lovely. <laughs> it's so good, man. Honestly, it's like this old, um, old sardine canning factory <laughs> that they turned into a museum. Listen, don't laugh, okay? I was in Portugal on my own. You've got to do something to pass the time. <laughs> it's a fantastic museum. <laughs> really interesting. You seem uh, so hyped about it, man. <laughs> I, I, I had a great time. The people on the front desk were very nice. She almost screamed when I only had a 50 euro note to get in. I think the admission was like... Classic tourist. Yeah, literally. I had to go to a shop to try and get that changed up. Anyway, lovely place. And uh, one of the many lovely things about Portugal, not just the football. Uh, 20th episode this week, Barney. Uh, quite significant for a number of reasons. Obviously a landmark for ourselves, but also halfway through the season. That's the thing about it. It's been it's halfway through the season. We've seen so many teams. And my understanding of Portuguese football has completely transformed from the start of this. You know, I'm, I'm learning so many things, learning so many things about uh, smaller clubs. I mean, the fact that people are talking about sporting haven't won the league in like, was it 19 years? Mm. Before, before we started this, I, I knew of sporting and I just assumed, you know, they were just regular challenges. I, di- I didn't know about this. Like, it's just been brilliant, man. I've absolutely loved it. It's been fantastic. And we're going to do a mid-season review after our news and game chat of the week. So you've got that to look forward to. But I'm actually going to spring this on you, Barney. I haven't told you this because... I think we should also do a mid-season podcast review. So what would you give the podcast up to now, scale of 1 to 10? If I was being vain, I'd, I'd say we're sort of like a passes to Ferreira. You know, like a... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not really expected. Maybe a Santa Clara, I don't know. A nice um, underdog story, kind of experiencing slightly more success than you need expect. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, the, the difference from ourselves, though, I mean, I, I wish... I, Maybe I should post the pictures of it, but from the, for the first episode we did, the um, the handwritten notes I made oh, trying wow. to watch every game over the weekend was wow. just fucking ridiculous. We should give a shout out to anybody who's listened since podcast one, because to get to episode 20 is a really big deal, but those episodes were just insane. For anybody who hasn't listened, don't bother going to listen back, honestly, because me and Barney between us were trying to watch every single game that happened every week and talking about every single game in detail. It was a nightmare. I was getting no sleep. No, <laughs> my weekends were just a washout, just <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous times. But anyway, on to bigger and better things. Like I said, mid-season review of the Premier League coming up. But first, we've got to deal with the news of the week, Barney. And there is no place to start other than the biggest signing of the year so far. Japan international and football legend Keisuke Honda signs for Porto Menendez. We've wanted this to happen for a long time. It's finally over the line. The only question is, Barney, have you got your shirt ordered already? It's gonna it's gonna be ordered very soon. I've currently taken part in a clinical trial where I'll get eighty pounds at the end. Jesus. We, we know we know where that eighty pounds is going. <laughs> That's what it's come to. I'm taking these fiber pills, or they could be placebo pills. I think they're placebo because my friends had very different reactions to me. Right. Okay. Um and they're on the same pills. But um yeah, no, eighty pounds my way, end of the month. 
straight on to Portman's. <laughs> <laughs> the things we do for football. But anyway, let, let's let's talk about him. I mean, he's not as young as he used to be. He's probably not going to be the player he used to be. He left Botafogo under a bit of a cloud. If you ever go on his Twitter and look at some of the comments on his Twitter page, Botafogo fans fucking hate him. He gets like 50 comments on every post from Botafogo fans calling him a coward, X, Y, Z. The stories about him demanding a uh, armoured car to drive him around Rio uh, at the time. So he left that in a pretty bad situation. We're not interested in any of that. We're just interested in the sort of magic that he could bring to this league. I said it on Twitter. He's one of the great enigmas uh, of football in recent times. This will be the eighth country he's played in internationally. So it's a really big deal to have him come to Portugal. I think we're just excited to get Watch him in action. Yeah, it's career stats of 486 games, 102 goals and 82 assists. A similar ga- goals to game ratios, you know, someone like Paul Scholes. Not the exact same position, but, you know, a midfielder. Mm. That's that's a remarkable goal, Tally. Like like you said, yeah, his, his last stint at Butterfugger wasn't wasn't good. I know, you know, I'm not sure his stint in Australia or Holland or also that good. But for Port Menendez, it's absolutely huge. I mean, we can't forget his time at AC Milan, which, you know, some of the free kicks is just absolutely if you watch a highlights video of this guy it's just it's brilliant and it is a big name it's a big name in this league or you know we shouldn't discredit like those sort of players they get a bit slower they're not gonna have as much stamina but that technical ability man it, it doesn't go that much it doesn't go that much we're just hoping for one moment of magic i think that's all we're asking for even if it's just one free kick it's going to be fantastic he signed a six-month deal to the end of the season apparently there's uh, an option for that to be extended for a year so We'll see what happens there. Uh, I want to give a big shout out, Barney, to my girlfriend, Addy, who did a lot of translating for us when this signing was happening. Uh, he actually announced his signing on his own app, which is called the Now Voice <laughs> app in Japan. It's like a live streaming app where you only stream your voice, basically. So she tuned into that for us and she sent me some fantastic quotes, uh, one of which I'm going to read out to you now. He was asked about his salary. Uh, the interviewer says, when you were in Brazil, people said you earned 40 million yen a month. It's about 250 grand a month. He says it's fake news. It was less money. He doesn't do it for the money. <laughs> and, here, and here he says, if it was for the money, he wouldn't be going to Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair as well. Like He's not going to be making loads of money at Portsmouth. Uh, <laughs> I just wonder if he's got any sort of um, really interesting riders in his uh, contract. You know, like stuff comes out about Neymar, like getting extra money for clapping the fans at the end of the game or something <laughs> like that. I wonder if he's got any in there. <laughs> well, there was a bizarre situation in his press conference, Barney. Did you see this? Where um, obviously there's a Japanese connection with the owner of Porto Menendez. So he's doing this press conference with somebody, you know, like the CEO of Porto Menendez or something, and they've got a cardboard cutout of the Japanese yeah. owner in the background. I think, I think they've done this a few times recently. I think he's, uh, you know, he, he obviously can't get here for coronavirus reasons and he just, you know... He, doesn't want to miss out wants to be <laughs> be involved in all the pictures <laughs> but there's been a lot of funny stuff going on around this transfer body the last thing that i want to point out is that a tweet you put out this morning in english which says i think it's very difficult for any athletes how much time they should take a rest before their next hard day of training so he's been at the club five minutes and he already fancies a day of training didn't fancy the bleep test <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, there's just one more uh, news story from this week, but that, Barney, that I wanted to pick up on before we get into this week's games. Uh, and it's something that I spotted on Twitter, actually posted by the Osbell and Engines official Twitter page. Now, I'm sure most of our listeners will already be aware of the situation between Osbell and Engines and the team currently referred to as BSAD. 
uh, with the historical team, Osbel Energy is playing in the Lisbon regional divisions and BSAD competing in the Premier League. Now, if you want to know more about that story, we did a whole episode on that very subject on episode 10 of our podcast when we were joined by Jamie Farr from Football Radar, who we're very grateful to for joining us to explain that whole situation. Now, the statement from Ben and Barney was basically their way of saying, look, we've had enough. In their statement, which we shared over on our Twitter page, if you want to go and read it in full, they essentially are pointing to the fact that BSAD are still using the Belenenses name, despite the fact that a court ruling in June 2018 clearly judged that the intellectual property for that name belonged only to Osbelenenses and therefore BSAD were legally obligated to change their name and their badge, which they did, so it didn't reflect the original badge or name. They simply have just not enforced this though, Barney. For starters, the Twitter handle for BSAD still says Belenenges SAD. The club's official website is osbelenegessad.com, on which they've repeatedly referred to themselves using the word Belenenges. Now, I did make a point of checking the most recent update on their website, and that I can see is from the 15th of December 2020. So it's over two years since it was ruled that they've got no legal right to use that name. Now, it's not only BSAD making this mistake, the official League of Portugal website and app also refer to them incorrectly. Commentators on Sport TV repeatedly use the wrong name. And we'll hold our hands up to say that we've been guilty of that exact thing in the past. But how can you blame us, honestly, when there's so much confusing and conflicting material out there? And it might seem like a lot of fuss over just the name, but when a verdict that was meant to protect the history of Belenenses, one of the most historically important teams in the country, is repeatedly disregarded, not just by their rival entity, but by Portuguese football as a whole, uh, I think it's really important to flag that up. There's hints, isn't there, that it's just sort of the, the big man just being more powerful than the little guy in this situation. I think Jamie, in that episode 10, really he drew parallels, didn't he, between Wimbledon and um, MK Dons over here in England. And there are, are quite a lot of similarities. A club's name is so important, man, isn't it? It's just your complete identity. And to have that sort of taken from you is is so dramatic I mean when you saw FC United of Manchester bring up that Phoenix Cup those fans still don't have that name Manchester United to you know that's what they wanted and it's the same here it's it's one of the most bizarre situations ever and I still can't fathom out how I still can't just I can't imagine that stadium with fans in I don't know why (laughs) it's just it's such a bizarre situation that's something I still don't properly understand I just want to summarize this whole situation Barney by quoting from the article that uh, Osbelen just put out when they say this to better clarify what is at stake, the football club Osbelenenges makes it clear that BSAD does not own and does not represent the 100 years of our history, that Arthur Jose Pereira, Pepe, Vincente Lucas, Matateo, Jose Antonio and Miladinov did not play for BSAD, nor has BSAD ever won the Portuguese Championship, the National Championship or any Portuguese Cups, trophies that are still visible in our museum at Estadio do Restelo. That quote just pretty much sums up the situation, Barney, and especially when you do compare it to something like Wimbledon, where they did have to change that name. And now there is that kind of fracture between the new team and the old team. That connection between the history that that club had is now broken. I think it just does go some way to indicating the importance of preserving club's history, no matter what financial difficulties they may be going through. There's only one game that we're going to start our game roundup with this week, Barney, and that is, of course, Braga versus Porto, the game that ended 2 2 
after 90 minutes. I feel like I've bigged up a lot of games on podcasts recently, Barney. We've had local derbies, we've had big clashes at the top of the table, but I don't think any of them can claim to have been as exciting a game of football as this game was. It was a fantastic football match. Last minute goals, questionable refereeing decisions. The game had it all. Yeah, absolutely had everything. I mean, it was almost like, for me, it was almost like a chess match in parts because mm. we've talked about Carlos Carvajal's sort of tactical sense and how he's really impressed this season. And, and then you sort of forget that conscious how as well. He, I feel like he's a... The way that Porto set up defensively, I thought was just sublime. And there's just some really nice duels. You know, we had like uh, Carmo and Morega and then this guy on start at the other end. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a really great game. It was a fantastic game, point. And of course, the game was defined by that late comeback from Braga, who scored two goals in the last five minutes. But let's not forget, Barney, that for 85 minutes of this game, it looked like a nailed-on 2-0 win to Porto, even with 10 men. And we'll come on to that red card uh, in a moment. But we were texting during that first half and we were both so impressed with how Porto were playing because they did not let Braga get a foothold in the game. They pressed them well. They kept the ball well. They dominated the game and they deserved to be two goals up. The first goal, look, I didn't love the penalty decision. I've watched the replay back. I think... It seems soft, but there was contact. I can accept it. The second goal, however, my gosh, what a lovely goal that was. Great solo work by Corona to make the chance uh, and absolutely buried by Taremi. Yeah, Taremi's positioning for that as well, that just sort of slow late run. You just, no one picked him up. I, I don't know if Mr. Riley should have looked over his shoulder and seen him, but regardless, I mean, I just thought the position was great. I do, I do want to talk about that penalty decision for the first one, though, because it's something we've seen quite a lot. Um, recently I feel like it's one of those ones where if it's slowed down it looks worse in real time and I've talked about before in this podcast how I think Porto are very very street smart um, you know they've they've had nine penalties this season you know, the most you know by some way and Morega goes down like a, you know, a stack of potatoes every time he gets a touch you know he's always looking for free <laughs> kicks and penalties part of me doesn't like it but it is a skill in this game nowadays the thing that frustrates me man is that there's so many penalties you see given where I feel like there needs to be a way of where of sort of tracking where the ball's going and seeing if this attacker's actually going to get on the end of it. Because uh, I know that's almost impossible to do, but there's, there's too often you see, like for me, Marega was never getting on the end. After that, it was pretty heavy touch. He was not getting that to that ball. The keeper was going to collect it. It was going to be fine. In that area, it's hard enough for defenders already, isn't it, to have, you know, you've got to have your arms rigid by side because, you know, if the ball touches your arm, it's a, it's a penalty. It's just, I just think it's hard enough for a defender. And I think, it's yeah I, I just didn't like it it didn't sit well for me this one yeah I think you're totally right there because it is pretty impossible for a referee to make those subjective decisions like would the striker have got on the ball so it means that at this point I think they've taken that subjectivity out of the decision and it's just if there's contact then it then it is a foul uh, and I suppose the argument for that is over the course of a season you would hope that all teams would get an equal amount of decisions obviously the decision in this game went in Porto's favour but I think up to then, Porto had had a fantastic game overall. Morega in particular had a good game. I thought he looked very hungry. He made himself a real nuisance. Luis Diaz as well. Uh, another good performance from him. But of course, all of that discussion only applies to the first 86 minutes of the game. Because after that, of course, the game completely flipped on its head. Seemingly out of nowhere, Braga got a good, if slightly a fortunate goal from Fran Sergio. Uh, it was a shot from outside the book, which I thought Marchesin should have saved. And suddenly... Braga decided to start playing. I tweeted it out at the time, Barney, but I don't know why they decided to wait until the 86th minute of this football match to turn up. I mean, imagine what the result could have been if they played that way the whole game. Well, I do I do think, and as you touched on at the beginning, you said 
Porto were phenomenal defensively. The tactics were spot on. I don't think Braga had a didn't have a gap. You know, too often you saw Braga trying balls over the top. When we know they want to play short passes, quick into play. And I do think it was a bit of a confidence thing because they didn't have a sniff, basically. And suddenly when they were when Porto went down to 10 men, that's when they suddenly felt, oh, hang on, maybe we should actually get another creative play on the pitch. You know, bring on Gaitan, bring on um, Lucas Payson, who, what did he do? He had 21 minutes, got two assists. You know, that's brilliant. It seems like an obvious thing to say, but maybe that first goal gave them the belief that they needed to finally step up a gear in the game. Uh, Nico Gaitan, the man getting the second goal, very unlikely goal scorer, seeing as he's barely had any minutes this season. Carlos Carvalho rarely even brings him on from the bench. So it was nice to see him on the score sheet. Of course, despite what will feel like a positive result for Braga, it wasn't all good. I mean, they were pretty anonymous for the first 85 minutes of the game, barring a decent opening spell. And sadly, I think that without Paulinho and Medeiros, an element of quality was missing from that side. There is a silver lining there. As you mentioned, Lucas Piazon does look very promising. Uh, he'd started the two games previously since signing, and I thought he might start again. Scored in the last game, scored in his last game against Portland as well. So I'm pleased he's got a permanent home now. He hasn't played that. He wasn't even playing that regularly at Rioab, but clearly Carlos Cavalli believes in him. Also, the the ex Sporting boys contributed. I thought when Borja came on, he was he was a positive substitution. I think it gave him a bit more, a bit more pace down that left hand side, but uh, you know, a bit more attacking intent. And Spur as well. I mean, he had a couple of chances, man. I mean, and Bemba was just equal to him both for some a couple of fantastic blocks. Like I said, I think Braga just took a bit too long to sort of really go for it. But I also think Porto's defence. I mean, we talked about Sporting's defence all season and how good it is. But Porto as well are brilliant for me. I mean, the first half they just yeah just so organised. And then the thing that really confused me was when it went down to ten men. The intensity was just as ferocious and. When you look back to the Thursday game in the week where they drew Bell and Ends, there was none of that. Um, there was none of that intensity. I mean, I was looking at Taremi and maybe I haven't seen him, watched him closely enough this season, but I've never seen him run so hard, you know, cut the passing lines. Sergio Oliveira as well. They're just, just the whole game, the tactic was to not give Braga a second on the ball. I mean, we should look at this game from the perspective of the league table for a moment because... It will be particularly damaging to Porto, who really wanted the three points in this game. They will have seen Braga as a real potential hurdle. And of course, that's what it turned out to be. It means they slip up in the title race. Sporting just don't really show any sign of dropping points anywhere at this point in the time. But of course, for Braga, um, I think for them, a point will have been a positive result in terms of avoiding defeat to someone who really could have given them a beating. I loved it. Um, was it 90 plus two minutes for the, the equaliser or something like that? Mm. There was about five minutes extra time and then they were all having a massive celebrations and Carver's Carver was like, what are you doing? Let's, let's get the winner. Let's get the winner. And I, <laughs> I, don't know, I love that. I, I was with them. The, the momentum was truly with them. But for Porto, yeah, I for me, the, this game and the draw of Belenens really highlights the lack of depth. They didn't do any business in the, the transfer market just gone. I mean, that's the second year in a row they've done no winter business. You know, they're playing Malang Sar at left back and who was absolutely looking like a centre-back playing at left back. I think, was... <laughs> <laughs> think you've been quite generous there. Well, and it was a bit confusing, wasn't it? Because Sanusi was brought on at some point uh, late on in the game. The uh, same thing in the uh, BSAD game. He was brought on late there. And... Contrasau was resorting to sort of bringing on Jao Mario to sort of see out the game with the, with the one goal lead. And it's just the, the players he gave opportunities to in the BSAD game, uh, Felipe Anderson, Evan Nilsson, um, Fabio Vieira, all disappointed, didn't take the opportunities at all. Um, he had to bring back on Morega, bring back on Corona, you know, resorting to his trusted 11. 
And I just think this is a massive month for them, isn't it? They've got the Champions League games. They've got a packed schedule in the league when they were sporting at the end of the month. And there's just a little bit of a drop off, isn't there? Well, it was understandably a lot of very unhappy Porto fans on social media after the game. Uh, and to me, a surprising amount of fans unhappy with Conte's style. But when you put it like that, I do start to understand that feeling. I think it's also important to say though that Conte's style is also the manager who set them up to play so dominantly and so effectively for 85 minutes of that match. So I don't think all of the blame can be can be attributed to him. And sorry, just before we move on, there's just one more thing I wanted to talk about, which has come out in the news recently. Is um, uh, we'll just talk about Premier the Premier League not allowing their players to play international games for the you're just traveling to Portugal for the international games. And the, and how you know when you look at the players who are playing in England, the right the right back position is a real issue for Portugal. You know, you've got Ricardo Pereira, uh, João Cancelo. So then you look at uh, this league and who's available here. And instantly, I was thinking about this guy who I thought had a fantastic game. I thought he was he was one of those players. I think for Braga, who you could see he was really just trying to get into play a bit more football when there's passages where they were sort of struggling to find gaps. You know, coming short for the one-two, trying to just trying to increase the speed of their passing but then also you look at the uh, Porto and Manafar and I, I might be wrong because I didn't look too in depth but I, I couldn't tell if Manafar has been called up for Portugal before yet and I, I, for me he's a fantastic right back as well who would you pick of the two uh depends how Portugal pay if if it's a five I'd go as Gaia but if it's a four I, I I really rate Manafar I think he the way he attacks the game is 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 brilliant yeah fantastic what about you it'd be his guy for me I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of his I back him to do to do a job offensively uh, and defensively. Well, we're going to move on to the uh, other team in the top three who played over the weekend, Benfica, uh, who beat Famalicão 2-0. Uh, and it was a massively improved performance from Benfica, who came absolutely flying out of the blocks and got what would prove to be the two decisive goals inside the first six minutes of this game. They were playing like a team with a point to prove, uh, which of course they are, Barney, after recent performances. It was just brilliant. I mean, that first goal, Everton and Darwin, the two players... I've been very critical of recently just combining well. I mean, Everton's footwork in that box was absolutely beautiful. I love that. Fantastic, yeah. Beats about five players, didn't he? And then, you know, Otamendi got his goal from, a was it Tarab's shot that sort of uh, fell to him nicely. Instinctively, I felt like they sort of fell back into their, their old selves. You know, with the, that's such, it was such a brilliant start. And like you said, the intensity was great. But but then I looked at the stats and they had a good, they had great amount of shots this game. Uh, they had more possession, pass actually was spot on. But then I still felt this uncertainty with them going 2-0 up. You know, I wasn't 100% sure that I wasn't confident of the win. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's a, a narrative thing. You know, like the, the, the draw against Vittorio Grimaraes, the, the draw against Celia National. But when you look into this game, there was actually no chance of Famalicao getting back in. I think Famalicao had an XG of 0.37. You know, none of their chances were... <laughs> Ouch. You know, none of, <laughs> none of their chances were quality or anything like that. And but to be fair to Benfica, this is the first time I felt that because Jabel had a good game. I felt that back line was um, really solid and did the job really well. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I also did have that sense that they took their foot off the gas uh, in the second half. I wasn't sure whether that was just a case of being 2-0 up and not needing to exert themselves too much or whether they were reverting back to how we've seen them play recently. Uh, we should talk about some of the specifics in Benfica's game that were improved. Uh, for starters, for me, they seem to be more motivated. Uh, like you said JJ was back on the touchline after a recent illness so happy to see him there and perhaps he'd recovered enough to give them the proper hairdryer treatment in the dressing room because every single player on that team was was playing with heart uh, but in terms of team selection as well Barney I know you'll agree with me here uh, I really enjoyed watching Chervy playing on the wide left for Benfica I think he suits their formation 
much better than Everton did on the left-hand side. They seem to get a lot of joy with him supplying balls into the box from the left. Um, Everton uh, playing on the right-hand side, I believe, for the first time this season, uh, or at least the first time that I can remember. Also had a good game. As you said, fantastic solo work for his goal. And of course, the player we really should mention, Barney, is Nicholas Otamendi. He got his first goal from Benfica. Uh, man of the match performance. And in in all fairness to him, he has been much improved in recent games. Focusing on that back line, and like we have been critical of Gilberto on this podcast, but he's he's been improving in the last few games. I wrote down that this this back four with Grimaldo on the left as well and Vertonghen, you know that that's a that's a solid defense in almost any league in Europe for me. And they seem to finally be getting it together. And you know though they drew against uh, Vittorio Grimaldo in the week, it still didn't concede. And you know we've seen how. Deadly they can be with, you know, Christmas supply and stupid. So, yeah, I, I was really impressed at the defence. And then, as you say, I think Chevy deserves immense credit because, what, he was almost out of the door going to America. And he, he got a few chances at left back. And now he's starting at left mid. And it, that's all down to him. He played his way into this team. It's as simple as having a right foot player on the right wing and the left foot player on the left wing. But it just works so much better for me. It, it just works. And I think... I, I could see him, you know, he's going to be so valuable, Chervy, in this, this coming month with the Europa League games against Arsenal as well, just to have that option. I mean, I don't love the formation, but if George Jesus is wedded to this 4-4-2, then I don't think there's many better in that Benfica squad to start on the left-hand side than Chervy. Just to touch on what you were saying about that back four, I think they have been better and the teamwork has improved and I think they're being very solid. The one thing I would say is I don't think we've seen Gilberto tested against real high-class opposition yet. I think... That centre-back pairing as well, and this will be interesting when they do come up against Arsenal, that centre-back pairing, you suspect that they could be found out against quicker opposition. It's a bit of a cliche, but the two older centre-backs there, the one player that I like to give credit to when whenever I get the opportunity is Grimaldo, who for me is a world-class option at left-back. I mean, when Alex Tellers was still in the league, you know, there was so much hype around Alex Tellers at left-back and the contribution that he made from left-back for Porto, but I always thought that Alex Grimaldo uh, was just as good a player at left back and offers Benfica just as much. Before we move on, Barney, I'm just going to give a stat to you that I've seen on Twitter. This isn't something that I've discovered for myself, so I'm going to shout out Portuguese soccer at PSNL Soccer on Twitter, who shared this, Barney. Jorge Jesus' starting 11 for Benfica uh, in this match had zero Portuguese players amongst them. The last time that happened was six years ago when the manager was also Jorge Jesus. Yeah, it's it's not a great start, I think. Think and especially when you see so many players out on loan for Benfica, you know, young Portuguese talent. The only thing I would say though is that it, it did work for them in this game. Like, you know, I thought Tara and Weigel in the middle as well, just dropping Pitsy. It was a little bit more balanced. I thought the, the centre midfield played really well. If you're looking at Family Cal, they, it was just a sucker punch. Wasn't it? If you're going two to down the first, what was it, 10, 10 or so minutes, it, they had no chance of getting this back in this game. And perhaps you see it at Benfica's form, you could have thought they might be looking to Tara. They might be hoping for a point or something. Um, but the one player that really stood out for me was Ugarte, the young Uruguayan central mid. Uh, he ran himself into the ground um, and he looks like a really promising talent. I thought he showed some really class touches. So th- some of the signings are looking good for them. Um, but yeah, you know, you're not really going to get anything from them, Fico, are you? Well, another game that I want to talk about, Barney, is a game between two teams that we've already mentioned. Uh, and that was BSAD versus Vittoria Gimaraes, a game that ended 1-1. But it was interesting for a number of reasons. There were some comments from the Vittoria manager before the game that caught my eye. Israel Henriquez basically saying that the surface at the Jamor Stadium wasn't good enough to be in the top division. I have to say, it looked okay to me. And I think we've seen worse surfaces in the league this season. I mean, Christ, Santa Clara springs to mind there. 
But I think this would have been a game that Vittoria expected to win. I know Joao Henriquez said after the game that it was two points dropped. Uh, it played out very evenly, though, for me. Not much separating the teams. But a result both the Vittoria team and Vittoria fans were very disappointed with. I know Vittoria fans have great aspirations to affirm themselves as Portugal's fourth biggest club. I think it's a tough season for them this year, not only coming up against Braga uh, in that fight, but also with Passos in the mix. And I'm just wondering... Barney, whether they're in danger of getting left behind in that little pack of three outside the Champions League places. Of course, the three teams that I mentioned, Braga, Vitoria and Passos, out of those three, I think Vitoria at the moment feel like the team lacking a bit of momentum, perhaps. Yeah, and they had such a frustrating start to the season as well, didn't they? They sort of didn't seem to get it together till a little way down the line. I think that there's no there's no chance of catching Braga. I think Braga probably possibly unchallenging Benfica for that third spot. They have been moving in the right direction. I think the Estadio Nacional is a really tough place to go. I think we've seen that this season already with some of the, like, well, Porter in the week. I mean, you, there's just a few choice decisions that I don't quite understand with Victoria. And it's, I'm, it's just Marcus Edwards. That's it. That's <laughs> I, knew, I knew that's where you were going to go with this, Barney. And of course, we should mention that Marcus Edwards started the game on the bench for the third game in a row. And it really was a surprise to see. I must say, I know the fans are a bit clueless as to why this is happening as well. Um, I thought he looked bright when he came on in this game. He only got about 10 minutes at the end, but he still looked positive. I thought the same thing when he came on for the last 10 minutes at Benfica. Uh, he almost grabbed a winner for them. So it is a really strange one for us, I think. Uh, we'll keep an eye on the situation, obviously, but he's just signed a new contract there. So I don't really know what's going on. The contract could have been out of the manager's hands. You know, the, the club probably protecting probably, well, their most valuable asset. I mean, Charisma and Stupin is clearly working. At, and I need to get both of them in my fantasy team because that's just guaranteed <laughs> points. That's, it's just happened too often this season, hasn't it? They've dropped points against teams they really shouldn't have. And they haven't been able to sort that out so even since the new manager coming in. This, they're, they're definitely more solid defensively, I think. I think Benfica had 23 shots against them <laughs> when they true know they're there. So, you know, really good to, to hold on and not, not concede there. And they definitely improved. But yeah, it's going to be a proper battle with Bassos because Passos are, you know, they're, they're flying at the moment. And I can't, I can't, I can't see them coming down for a while. Well, you say passes are flying, Barney. Actually, on the night that we're recording this, they've just drawn nil-nil with Porto Menen. So that's the first time they haven't won a game. They were on a run of six wins in a row. So that was uh, fantastic for them, Barney. Were there any other results in the week that caught your eye that you want to speak about before we move on? Yeah, just Santa Clara. You know, you said last week that has they got the best first half of the season ever for them? Possibly, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by that. And then, um, you know, what Crozan stepping up with the goals and then Carlos Jr. with the winner. And these were both late goals as well. You know, they went, went down to Maritimo. I wasn't expecting it at all. As soon as Thiago Santana went, I thought they were done. Yeah, they put quite a few good results together recently, Barney. Quite a few wins. They're sitting seventh in the table. Six points behind that pack of three that I just mentioned, chasing for uh, Europa League places. So I doubt they'll trouble them, but they can be very positive about, uh, about the season they've had so far. Right. Well, as promised, with all teams having played 17 games so far, we're at the exact midpoint of the season. So we're going to have a little mid-season review. Uh, and the way me and Barney are going to do this is we're going to talk about who's impressed us, who needs to improve, and just some of the highlights of the season so far. Uh, before we start, though, Barney, I put out on Twitter some polls just to get other people's opinions of this. We're going to be talking about teams, players and managers, who's impressed us, who needs to improve. Uh, and we asked people on Twitter to get involved. So we've got some results from those polls, which I'll bring up as we go. 
Uh, but we're going to start with, in terms of who's impressed us, give me your list of teams that have impressed you so far. And I can bet what one of them is going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, it's, it's Sporting Lisbon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, a, they haven't lost, man. And that is remarkable. <laughs> it's incredible. I think we've talked about them a lot recently. Um, so the other two teams that impressed me are Braga. I think they've been one of my favorite teams to watch this season. Um, and I think Carlos Carver Carvajal as well, coming from a, as an English fan, like I said on this podcast before, I had this opinion of him. You know, the English press gave him this sort of, you know, tried to say, oh, is this guy trying to play the wrong sort of football in this league? And I brought that with me into the season. But um, I've, I think it's, it's been brilliant, some of the tactics he's shown this season. Yeah, I agree with you on those two, Barney. Of course, we should just say that, spoiler alert, but sporting are going to feature a lot in this in this chat so we should we should just tackle that head on they're top of the table they're unbeaten Ruben Amarum is going to pop up in our best manager chat Potter is going to pop up in our best player chat they've had a fantastic season we cannot uh, understate just how impressed we have been across the board um, but in terms of other teams as well because it's also worth mentioning a lot of other teams the teams that I've gone for Puzzle to Ferreira of course really overachieving giving Braga a run for their money really giving Vittorio a good battle in those European places. Outside that top end of the table, Barney, I did want to give a shout out to some other teams because it's easy just to focus on the top end when you're talking about who you're impressed with. Santa Clara, as we were just talking about, having a great season, sitting really comfortable in seventh. And I think this one might be a controversial one. It might be a bit of a stretch to say I'm impressed with them. But Portman ends. Because recently, I think their results have been pretty good. Now, I know they're only out of the relegation zone on goal difference. But that said... They were technically relegated last season. Yeah, They only stayed up based on technicalities. They were probably the bookies' favourites to go down. I haven't checked. They've spent a lot of the season in the relegation zone, but they've had some good results, Barney. Their last five games, two wins, two draws in that time. They drew tonight against Passos, a team that we've been so impressed with. So I think there really is signs there that, that they're building on something. And obviously saying whether you're impressed by somebody is relative to what you expect from them. So relative to what we expected from Porto Menens, I'm reasonably impressed. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's been a few players in there as well who've, uh, who've looked good. They pop up every now and again with a decent result, don't they? And yeah. that, that, that's important. That's important for sort of staying up. Let's move on to players then, Barney. Straight away, I'm going to throw off the bat. Pote, player of the season so far, of course. Top scorer. Fantastic performances week in, week out. Outside of that, though, I've got three other names for you. Ricardo Horta from Braga. A player who, it took me a little while to notice, but once you start watching him in those games, Barney, you see the impact that he has, the influence Really lovely footballer to watch. Lovely technical ability. Uh, of course, Medi Taremi, a player who scored so many goals for Porto. He was signed for a relatively low transfer fee compared to other strikers in the league. And of course, I'm going to say it, Ryan Gould. What a player. We love him. Everybody knows we love him. And he's in my list of players I've been impressed with so far this season. I think the thing with Ryan Gould, isn't it, is as soon as he moved to Portugal, we we, we stopped, we were aware of him, weren't we? We we. And we haven't been able to watch barely at all. I I don't think I watched a single game of him for, for sporting or, you know, this is the first time I've actually been able to watch him play. He's bigger than I thought he was going to be. You know, he look, he's he's bulked up from when he moved. He's 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 strong. And yeah, he's just... Uh... The other one I wrote, wrote is Angel Gomez because both of those players are the most evident example of a player being miles better than the rest of the team. They will do stuff in a game. They will they will change games. I think, how many amount of matches has Ryan Gould won this season? You know? at, least, at least four. He might be up to five by now. And of course, we're going to be a bit biased because of the whole British thing and the, you know, the English thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, when you watch them, they stand out. Angel Gomez is exactly the same. He stands out on that team. Well, hold that thought on Angel Gomez, Barney, because he's going to pop up in a Young Player of the Year chat. I don't know if you checked the polls on Twitter yet, but I'll let you guess what position he came out in. 
in that Young Player of the Year award. Uh, Albert, sorry, just before we move on from the players, and just to t- touch on Poe again, I don't know if enough's been made of how important he's been to sporting success and how instrumental. Yeah, I, obviously, Amory's got loads of praise, the Young Players have got loads of praise, and Poe's got a lot of praise. Maybe it's stupid to say, but I don't even I don't know if enough's been made of it. Like I, I just think he's been so instrumental. I don't think it's that and not enough's been made of it because obviously everybody knows what a good player Potter is. I think it's important to stress though how unexpected how good he's been is because he was signed from Family Cow when he was a promising player. But I don't think anyone, even the people who signed him, expected him to have quite the quite the impact that um that he has had. And of course, uh, he came out on top in our Twitter poll. Uh, with 75% of the votes from eight votes, two people voted for Ricardo who are probably a couple of Braga fans, I'm imagining. Uh, but you mentioned Ruben Emmerim there, Barney, and he comes straight in in my list of managers who impressed me. I think I would probably put him at number one, but also on that list, I've got Carlos Cavaliao from Braga and Pepper from Passos Ferreira. Now, the thing about all these three managers for me, Barney, is that they all play lovely football. Uh, Pepper's got Passos playing really nice football to watch. Carlos Cavaliao, of course, has got Braga playing lovely football as you mentioned. So for me, those are the three managers that I've been most impressed with this season so far. I saw reports today that Pepper is being rumoured with the Porter job if Conchasau gets pinched. I mean, I've been impressed with Conchasau as well, what he's done in the Champions League. However, if there are talks of him moving to another club, I got I just, who do you think he could be moving to? Who could you see him moving to? For me, it would have to be a team who's challenging for a Champions League place. Yeah, I don't think he's destined for one of the top clubs. I have to say, for a couple of reasons, I don't think his tactics are incredible uh, and I don't think his temperament is what a top club would want. I think he's a great man-manager. I think he motivates his players. I think he knows how to set his team up not to lose. But those aren't the most attractive qualities of the manager. You know, the managers who move to the biggest clubs are the managers who play the kind of the most attractive football to watch. And we've seen Sergio Conceição. He is not afraid to park the bus in games. And look, I don't have a problem with that. I respect that a lot. It's got him good results against teams like Manchester City in the past. But I don't think he's a manager destined for a really big job in Europe. Outside of him though, Barney, who have you got in your manager list? Well, as you mentioned, I wrote both um, Pepper and Carlos Carvajal. I mean, the rest of the rest of the league, there's been quite a lot of rotation, hasn't there? Mm, there course. hasn't been that many um, managers who who have stayed and settled in places. So yeah, those definitely stood out for me. Particularly Pepper. I think, like you said, it's, it's easy now, having seen their recent success, to think those players are of a high quality. And they're decent players, but it's more the fact that he's got them playing so well. And uh, and he's improved those players, I think, particularly Bruno Costa. You know, the fact that he was at Porto Menens last season, now playing for Passos and is really like, you know, having left Porto a few seasons ago, really playing some really good football. I think, yeah, I think Pepper for me is definitely, definitely one up there. Well, on the flip side of that, of course, Barney, we wanted to talk about those characters in the league that we feel like, that we feel should be doing better, that perhaps we expected more of. And in terms of teams that I think need to improve, it's obvious to point out teams at the bottom end of the table. But again, we're going to kind of keep this relative to what we expected from them and what we reasonably think they can achieve. So for me, in terms of teams that need to improve, I've gone for Boa Vista, Family Cow and Benfica. Go on, let's talk about Boa Vista. Like, uh, it's just, it's been such a disappointment, hasn't it? It's been a massive disappointment. They made some fantastic signings in the summer, you know, uh, I look at this from Angel Gomez's perspective and what he was probably sold in that summer transfer window. You know, Boa Vista, one of the most historically rich teams in the league. You know, they've kind of got this... To me, I see them as a potential sleeping giant, you know, in the way that Manchester City were uh, before they got all that investment. They've the kind of 
younger brother or that little brother figure to Porto, you know, they've got everything they need to be a big club. Someone's put a lot of money in, but it just has not worked at all. The players have not clicked. They obviously got rid of Vasco Siabra, who I think came with uh, a lot of high hopes. And he's now proving, I think, that he has got some managerial chops at Morarens. So they really need to put their finger on what's going wrong, but a lot of underachievement going on across the board. They lost a bit to Gil Vicente in the week. I mean, that late winner, they conceded. I mean, what the fuck was everyone doing? Like, did, it was absolutely mind-blowing. Like, I mean, they're in a proper relegation battle, but you know, there's no messing around. It's, they've got themselves in a terrible position and they've shown very, very little sign, of, for me, of getting out of it. I feel like we're going to talk about Boa Vista in the manager section of, of this part as well. So we'll leave that to one side for now. Uh, what other teams have you got on your list, Barney? It, I've, I wrote down Rio Ave. I think, um, you know, the, the Europa League qualifying campaign, there's a lot of excitement around that and it's good signs. And plus the signings for me from Sporting, I think uh, Gerardo's and Dalla, uh, both positive signings. And then it's just been a little bit disappointing. I thought they'd be right up there, you know, pushing Vittoria perhaps. Um, we just haven't seen it. It has been glimmers, but it's, you know, that that one really disappointed me. Let's move on to players, Barney. And obviously, we want to be careful here because it can feel quite harsh to uh, condemn a player to be unsuccessful when the season goes on. So let's, we want to just remember that this is about what we expected of players, perhaps the team they're playing in, what they could have been offering the hype around them and what they've achieved compared to that. So I've gone harsh, Barney. I've gone Morega, Everton, Voldschmidt, and perhaps one that people won't be expecting, but I've gone for David Carmo. Marega, I agree with you. I think um, Taremi's obviously stolen the spotlight in that poor attack. And yeah, just the goal return has been poor for him, hasn't it? He just it, it, it hasn't looked like scoring. I mean, let me make it clear about Marega and, and the other players on this list. I'm not I'm not saying he's a bad footballer, but I did expect more from him. I think he, he scored a lot more goals last season. Obviously, some of that goal-scoring burden has been taken off him by Taremi, but you watch him in games and he just struggles to make an impact. He's had some good moments. There was that spell when I thought that partnership between him and Taremi was good and he was playing a very selfless game, uh, contributing with assists. But recently when you've been watching him play, I think he's just struggled to to make an impact uh, where it matters. Everton, another one I felt quite harsh about including uh, because I've said many times in this podcast that I think he's been played out of position that said, it doesn't change the fact that he was one of Benfica's most expensive signings and one of the signings that people expected more from and he hasn't really improved. Same with Vultschmidt, obviously came with a smaller price tag, but after a bright start, he's become pretty anonymous. And of course, we sympathise with players. It's very difficult to move to a new country, to adapt, uh, but somebody that I think we all hoped for more things from. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Walshmitt. I think for me, out of those summer signings for Benfica, he was probably perhaps one of the the most exciting. I feel like coming from Freiburg in Germany, that's I, I want to say credible league to come from the Brazil. But what I mean by that is, I, I feel like the the quality you're coming up against week in week out is it's a higher standard than what you would be in doing in Brazil. I've kept it with the Bovista um, theme for my player. I'm, I went for Javi Garcia. I think. That calibre of signing for that size club and the history he has his playing career across across Europe and the the, the problems Boa Vista have had is, is at the back. And he's that player, you know, he's playing just ahead of that back line. I just feel like he, you know, a bit of blame's got to go down to him, I feel, because you, he's the one you'd be looking to. They've got young players around him looking for a leader, looking for someone sort of, there's just been no sign of, that's been their weakest point, has it, the defence. And he's really disappointed. I just assumed that he would be the one sort of build the foundations of and, you know, push Bovista forward. But he's, he's disappointed me completely. 
Uh, sorry, I feel that was very, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was. I think it was a perfectly valid point. And you see the position that Boa Vista in in the table. Uh, it's it's not surprising that they're featuring quite heavily in this part of our analysis. Uh, I do want to touch on David Carbo Barney, and the reason I included him was how much hype there is around him as a young player and his prospects for the league. But I just. Whenever I watch him, I feel like he needs to improve a lot in some aspects of his game. The most important being his temperament. He loves a yellow card and he picks up so many unnecessary cards because of ill discipline. Now, he might be a talented defender. I haven't been blown away, I'll just say that. But fair enough, I can buy the fact that he's got uh, a lot of the elements that you need to succeed in defence. There were rumours about Liverpool putting in a bid for him in this window when they were so desperate for centre-backs. I cannot see him playing in a Premier League the level he's at. At the moment, I think he'd be picking up a red card every other game. I think he's been involved in some really poor challenges. I remember a challenge early on uh, in the derby against Victoria where he put an awful challenge in on uh, Marcus Edwards. He's been suspended a number of times. I think there's a lot of improvement there for him to make. Well, in terms of managers, Barney, obviously it's quite difficult to uh, talk about which managers need to improve because obviously the managers that haven't succeeded so far have left their position. So it's quite difficult to pick a manager currently in a job that you feel could be doing more. So I've gone for two names. The first, of course, George Jesus, who I think we can both agree. And we've talked about a lot. He's underachieving at Benfica. And I think we both disagree with a lot of his tactics and team selections at times. And I've gone harsh, Barney. I've gone Jezualdo Ferreira. I know, I know he's only been in the job five minutes, but when you bring in a new manager, you need to see improvement and you need that new manager bounce. And they have not had it at all. I don't think he's really done enough to change the style of play or the formation. He certainly hasn't found that new side to the game that they're going to need to start putting performances in. So for me, I think he's a manager who, if he's going to justify his appointment at Boa Vista, he needs to start finding better performances from somewhere. I think with Gerardo Ferreira, I think perhaps it's a bit too early to say that. I think that that squad, like I mentioned just now, like to concede that win, that goal against Gil Vicente, that's not the that's not the manager's fault. That's completely the player's fault. Every decision in the build up to that goal was absolutely poor. It's a definitely a team completely lacking confidence. I think so. Perhaps you can look at him to sort of he needs to be building them up. He needs to be making them feel like they can win games because there's there's not a team they come up against where they you know I I can see him losing to absolutely anyone in this league, even for Ents. Um, and I, yeah, and then, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I might be harsh, but. Um, but yeah, Jorge Jesus, I think as well. Um, I think everyone knows about the disappointment surrounding him this season. Um, not only on the pitch, but I think also, you know, the way some of the younger squad players have been treated. You think of the Benfica players of the past who've come from the ranks, sold on for loads of money, you know, and to see, like, like you said, not a single Portuguese player starting in their last game, it's, it's, it is a little sad. Isn't it? Well, to move back onto slightly more, uh, slightly more positive territory, uh, the one the one category that I was quite keen on including in this discussion, Barney, was Young Player of the Year so far. Uh, and I've got three candidates. I also put these candidates out on Twitter for people to vote on. I've gone for Andre Almeida, the young player at Victoria Gimaraes, Nuno Mendes, 18-year-old uh, left-back at Sporting, and Angel Gomez uh, at Boa Vista. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Barney. Yeah, Andre Almeida is an interesting one. I think I'd been sleeping on him a bit this season. I think it wasn't until you sort of said you he caught your eye that I've probably been looking at him in games and yeah he's he's brilliant in that midfield for Victoria and I'm really nice and it's quite rare to see isn't it a young Portuguese player not playing for you know one of these big three teams it's just so that's really good I think um I mean Nuno Mendes at, at Sporting is just oh, I think Antunes had a really good game uh, in the week at left wing back but 
apart from that, when he hasn't been in the sporting team, they haven't looked great. He makes that team better. And what is he only 18, 19? Yeah, the only one that I didn't agree, uh, well, I've talked about Andrew Gomez already, but it's Samuel Lino for me, for Gilbert Chente. I'm, I'm just a big fan of him. Like, you know, it's he's a really exciting creative player um i can see him moving to a better team in the summer i think he's um yeah they, they've 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 definitely found a gem in him there i want to push you for one overall name barney and you can let me know which one you think uh, our twitter poll went to for me just because i've i've watched i've closely watched this player and you know really kept an eye out for them in games it is angel gomez i think some of the because you know it's not only against the teams around that end of the table it, I remember the game against Benfica. He, he was still just, you know, just looked completely at ease against that Benfica team. Twitter was with you. Angel Gomez yeah. won that poll. Well, we talked about ending this section with a kind of table prediction bit, but personally, I'm not really a fan of predictions, mainly because I always get them wrong. But Barney has just flipped that on his head by making me aware of Optosport, who have come up with some kind of predicted table for the end of the season, Barney. And if you haven't seen this already, Barney, why don't you tell everyone how they see the season ending? Well, the big story is at the top end. Um, and they see Porto winning the league by one point above Sporting. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it's brilliant. It? It's really interesting as well, because I have felt Porto are the, the, the second best team in the league this season. And it is quite damning to sort of suggest that Sporting won't be able to maintain this because, like I, I've said in this podcast before, I cannot see Sporting losing a game this season. I honestly can't. I, like I said, I see them drawing maybe a nil-nil, whatever, but I can't see them. I can't see them losing. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. I know Optus Sport is guided completely by statistics and things like that, but when I think about what my instinct tells me, I'm totally with you. I think we've both been really convinced by Sporting. I think we both think that they will see this through in the long run. You know, let's not forget Porto have got. Champions League to deal with coming up. So yeah, that's another potential headache for them. Look, we try to remain unbiased on this podcast. Of course, we have no <laughs> emotional connection to any of these teams, but I think we're both kind of quite taken by the the sporting story so far this season. And I think we both see it with a positive ending for them. And that's it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, re- it's a really nice story for a neutral, isn't it? It's been so long for them. They're playing great football. Uh, an exciting young manager, first proper job. All these youngsters from the academy in the squad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Well, of course, if you've got any of your own opinions about how the season's gone so far and how you see it going in the f- future, don't hesitate to get in contact. You can follow us on Twitter at LongBallFootball or send us an email at LongBallFootball at gmail.com. But that's about all we've got time for this week. We'd like to say thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed listening, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back next week talking about all the news and games of the week. And of course, with European football on the horizon, we'll have plenty to talk about uh, when it comes to that. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.